Good morning, and welcome to Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus daily podcast. You just heard the sound of a Baltimore Oriole. There is a, a reason for that, which we will get into shortly. I am Ben Lindberg. Uh, with me, as always, is Sam Miller. How are you, Sam? Good. We started our series of season previews yesterday, but we neglected to mention what order we were going in. Uh, a couple people did ask, which is a logical question. We are going in order of last year's record uh, by division, and we decided to to start with the AL and with the AL East for no good reason, I guess, because of East Coast bias, probably. Um, and so today we have uh, last year's second place AL East finisher on the schedule. It's the Baltimore Orioles. And joining us uh, is the author of the Orioles chapter in Baseball Perspectives 2013, it is Derek Cardi. Hello, Derek. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on, despite being deathly ill. <laughs> uh, we have some questions about the Orioles, I suppose. Uh, the Orioles were a team that you and, and I, probably all of us, didn't really believe in last year. I think probably some of our early podcast episodes last year were... Uh, about how we didn't think the Orioles would make the playoffs or we weren't confident in that. And they did, despite stat people sort of doubting them right up to the end. And now it seems, even though they sort of proved us wrong in a way, at least last year, it seems that we have persisted in doubting them, or at least I have. Uh, you wrote about the Orioles in depth. What did you conclude about how likely they are to sustain their success last season? I came to pretty much the same conclusion that you did, that a lot of their success last year was a mirage. I mean, if you look at what they did, they won a lot of really, really close ball games. Um, 29-1 and one in one-run one ball games, and they played 18 extra inning games, and they won 16 of them. I mean, that kind of thing just you don't see it very often, and when you do, it's not sustainable. I mean, teams can't, can't win 95% of their extra inning games. It just doesn't happen. Uh do you think any of that was repeatable in a sense? I mean, the, the one-run record uh, was based largely on the success of the bullpen, I guess. It wasn't a completely yeah. random, but I guess you could say that the bullpen performance was kind of fluky, too. So is that something I, that... I could see something, yeah, I could see some of it being repeatable, and the Buckshow Walter is a pretty good manager, um, especially with the way he manages bullpen. Some of the studies that I ran found that he was, you know, one of the most effective at leveraging his bullpen properly last year. But even when you account for things like that and some of the other things that he does, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, you know, bridge the gap between their actual winning percentage and their, you know, their winning percentages that are based on the runs that they score and the runs that they allow and things like that. I should mention uh, that Pete Barrett, our intern, will be talking to Orioles reporter Brittany Droli after we're done talking to Derek. Uh, so you can hear what she thinks about all this. Uh, is there anything that kind of counteracts that regression? I mean, a lot of people will point to Ryan Roberts was out for the whole season or, or Nolan Rimmel <laughs> was out all the time. And, and I mean, I feel like right, you can say that about any Orioles season uh, in the last few, I guess. But I mean, you can point to a reason, I guess, why any team could be better there's always someone who is hurt or someone who underperformed and 
possibly that person could play better next season. Is there anything that makes you think that that the Orioles can kind of overcome the regression by other players stepping up in some way? I mean, you can spin anything. And there are certainly ways to spin the Orioles to say, okay, even though they were, you know, based on the run differential, a 500 team basically last year, they can do better than that this year. If if you're being optimistic and you're being, you know, kind to them. I mean, you could say that Manny Machado wasn't with them the whole year, so he's going to come up and be a star right away. And he's, you know, 162 games of him is going to be amazing. I don't think he's quite ready to play at that level yet. But you could say that about him. I mean, you could say that they have a lot of, young-ish sort of on-the-cusp pitchers who could turn into something worthwhile like Chris Tillman or Jake Arrieta or Brian Mattis or guys like that. I mean, if you think Dylan Bundy is ready to come up and be a star by May or June, I mean, they definitely have guys who could overperform. They have the potential for that sort of thing. But, you know, based on, like, an expected value type of deal, they really – they're probably not one of the ALEs top teams again in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I have read they've had a very slow offseason. They haven't done a whole lot other than, I guess, bringing back Nate McClouth. And, man, I mean, it's just a very uh, getting Jair Jurgens, I guess. Uh, there are a few other minor moves, I suppose, but they haven't done a whole lot. And I've I've kind of read that interpreted in multiple ways as, as Dan Duquette sort of realizing that he doesn't have a team that can be competitive now and that there's no point in going out and signing a bunch of free agents. And, it, and I've also heard it interpreted as Dan Duquette being too complacent and thinking that his team is actually that 93-win team from last year and that he didn't have to do anything. I, I guess, which do you think it is? Or, or what's the... What Do you think I, they should have I been more active? I don't know Duquette personally, but... If I were to guess, I would think it's the former, that he realized that this isn't, you know, a 93-win team and that the other teams in his division that he is, you know, regrettably stuck with are really good and made a lot of really good moves this season and that he's probably not going to be able to compete. So there's no point of going out and paying, you know, tons of money for a Josh Hamilton or a Zach Greinke type. Yeah, really, the most you can say about what he did this offseason is he added some depth and insurance with guys like Alexi Casilla and Trayvon Robinson and Danny Valencia and, you know, Jair Jurgens. But, I mean, they're really – even if he went out and got a Granke or a Hamilton, he's still probably not competing with the Yankees or the Rays or uh, the Blue Jays and maybe even the Red Sox. I mean, you never know. But, yeah, that's – yeah, that's what I think. That is kind of depressing in a way if even after that – extremely successful season where they surprised everyone made it back to the playoffs for the first time in 14 years or whatever it was they still find themselves in a position where it's almost futile or or where the guy in charge could possibly believe that that they can't compete right now that is well they they did kind i mean they were linked to hamilton at least yeah yeah i guess but i think yeah i think that was more just I don't know, almost to, to show the fan base, okay, we're trying, but they didn't really seem too too serious about him, given what his demands were. One thing we never talked about on the podcast, and I sort of wanted to talk about it once but didn't, was the extensions for Showalter and Duquette. Uh, 
Showalter got a five-year extension. Duquette got a four-year extension, I think. They're both under contract through 2018 now. Um, what did you think of that? Was that a, a smart move to lock them up, or was it overreacting to the success of last season and, and attributing too much of it to them? I think it's a little bit of an overreaction, but on some level, I do think it's warranted. I mean, five years for Showalter, I think you said, is a little long for a manager who, you know, managers by and large are interchangeable. I mean, Showalter is one of the better ones, but I mean, you don't necessarily need to lock a manager up for five years, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But Duquette, I think, I think Duquette did a good job coming in, especially given that he was out of the game so long. He was given really just a pile of shit to work with. Um, and I think he he did some of the things that he showed some of the things that he did well with Boston. He brought that over to Baltimore, and he didn't bring as many of the negatives. I think he brought in a lot of good complementary pieces to add to you know the core of like Matt Wieters and Adam Jones that he had to work with. He brought in a lot of like quality middle of the rotation pitchers and guys like Jason Hamill and Miguel Gonzalez, Joe Saunders and William Chen. He brought in some good relievers. He brought in some guys like Nate McLeod and Wilson Bediment, who you know. They're not stars, but they contributed to the team, and he really got a lot of wins for very little money. And I think a guy like that is good to have around. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about Mattis. Um, his numbers in relief, which I'm not going to read because numbers um, are boring to hear on a podcast, but uh, they're incredible. They're really beautiful. They're uh, a delight to look at. And so I just wonder, uh, that was after he struggled again as a starter, and that was, of course, after his 2011 season, which was like one of those really hard-to-watch kind of terrible seasons. So um, was his dominance and relief, do you think, is that a good story, uh, a story of redemption, or is it kind of depressing because the guy who had so much promise now sort of looks like maybe he's going to be like Galugi for the rest of his life or something? It depends on your perspective. I mean, it's always good for a guy to succeed, especially if, you know, he is failing so bad as a starter that, you know, there's a chance he's going to be out of baseball in a few years. But, you know, it's great to see him succeed as a reliever. And I think ultimately he probably will end up in the bullpen, although the Orioles are talking about giving him one more shot as a starter this year to see if he can, you know, make it happen there. Is there any reason to think that it will happen there? I mean, he's got... Among other things, he's got pretty tremendous lefty-righty splits, um, and uh, I don't know that he 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 doesn't he seem has, to get high marks for his uh, for his uh, you know kind of ability to manage a longer stint. He has less um, notable lefty-righty splits, but he doesn't have the arsenal that would really indicate lefty-righty splits. I think once he learns how to pitch a little bit more. Um, and I think the work ethic is a little bit of an issue with him, so that's not you know guaranteed. But I think if he learns how to use his stuff better, I think we're going to see that split diminish or go away, you know, at some point. Um, I think you know his fastball does play out better in the bullpen as it does for most starters or for most pitchers. Um, but you know he still does have pretty good stuff. Not quite where it was when he was like elite, like an elite prospect, but he still has good enough stuff stuff to make it as a starter. If he can, if he can use it well enough. All right. You have anything else to ask him? Nope. Then I guess we will do the thing that we feel obliged to do and ask you for a prediction of uh, where they will finish in the division and how many games they will win. 
Oh, all right. Put me on the spot. Let's yes. see. I will say the team, the Orioles are going to finish seven games under 500 and finish in fourth place. Oof. So you're predicting a rainout that doesn't get rescheduled? Because <laughs> if you think seven games under 500. Because <laughs> technically it's impossible to. Seven games under 500, unless you only play an odd number of games. Well, the, That's the, the joke I'm making. <laughs> the Orioles are a team that have defied expectations for a while now, so maybe they. I'm predicting that right now. <laughs> so you think that the you think that the I guess the Red Sox will be very bad, probably. I would probably put the Red Sox fifth. Yeah, it's just I mean when they're all playing each other so much. There's, there's going to be losses. I mean, I don't think if we put the Orioles or the Red Sox in another division, I don't think they would be as bad as, you know, they, I don't think they'd be this bad, but someone's got to finish under 500 in the division, and it's going to be those two, I think. Okay. Well, thanks for, for joining us, Derek. I'm sure that was suitably depressing for any Orioles fans that are listening. Uh, maybe MLB.com's Brittany Drilly will have something more optimistic to say. You will hear her after the fancy intro. It may still be winter, but Baseball Prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. You're listening to The Squeeze, a new segment on the Effectively Wild podcast, which can be heard daily, Monday through Friday, on Baseball Prospectus. Com. Joining me today on the phone is Brittany Giroli, who covers the Orioles for MLB.com. Brittany, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great, thanks. Happy to have you on, and I'm looking forward to pitchers and catchers. Baseball news is a buzzing. Let's jump into the news recently uh, around Baltimore. The Orioles came to terms with Jair Jurgens. Um, what did you gain from your insights? Uh, you had a conversation with him recently. Yeah, I did. I spoke with him earlier today, and he had just gotten through working out. And he seems pretty motivated. He said to me, you know, I was worried that, you know, teams weren't going to give me a second chance. I was just looking for somebody to give me an opportunity because I want to prove some people wrong. And when you hear something like that, you know this guy's going to have a chip on his shoulder. Right now, he says he doesn't have any knee issues, and that's really what's been hampering him. I mean, he was sent down to the minors for most of last year with Atlanta, wearing a knee brace, velocity had dipped, and he told me he feels like, He's beyond that. He doesn't. He strengthened that whole right leg, which is where he had the procedure done about two years ago. He feels like he's able to push off better now. The velocity is starting to creep back up, and he's excited. He's running. He's doing squats, and it'll be interesting because the Orioles already had too many starters for their rotation. Now you throw him in the mix, and it'll certainly get very, very interesting in camp. If everyone stays healthy, does Dan Duquette make a trade or two with the surplus of pitchers that they have? Yeah, they have a surplus of pitchers, like you said. One of the big prospects um, in all of baseball, Dylan Bundy, uh, obviously called up last September, I believe. Doesn't look, especially with this move, that he'd be on the uh, roster at least to start the season. Uh, what's his timetable for, for, for coming back to the majors? Him and uh, Kevin Dawson kind of go hand-in-hand hand when you look at their timetable. Both of those guys, as you said, he probably won't be in the opening day rotation. It would take a whole lot of injuries. And even then, the Orioles 
don't want to rush these young guys. I think Dylan Bundy and Kevin Galston need to go down to double-A. They need to prove that they've had success at double-A. Because keep in mind, Dylan Bundy's promotion last year was more of a necessity. He was on the 40-minute roster. It was during expanded rosters. The Orioles were very hesitant to do it because they didn't believe he had proven himself enough at double-A. I think he needs some more seasoning down there at double-A, and you'll see him and Kevin Galston. I would say by mid-season. I mean, if the Orioles are having trouble and those two guys have proven that they can do well at double-A, and I keep saying double-A because Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations, Dan Duquette, has said before that he doesn't necessarily believe they need to go to AAA. You saw last year with Manny Machado moving over after having a, a good stint at AA. That's the breeding ground. Those two guys need to go down there, need to prove that they can succeed and be consistent, and I think they'll both be up before July. Interesting. Now, some more news, especially on the development side. The Orioles announced some changes in player development, hiring Kent Qualls to become the organization's Director of Minor League Operations. What does this move mean, and how does it affect or reflect, rather, what Dan Duquette is, is trying to build in Baltimore? Well, it's interesting because the last 10 years, Kent was uh, the director of Dan Duquette Sports Academy on Hillsdale, Massachusetts, and I had an opportunity to speak to Kent a little bit last year when they originally hired Dan Duquette. And it's a big familiarity thing. I mean, when you look at, at who Dan Duquette has brought aboard, and you look at, you know, he's not alone. This is what other GMs and front offices do in baseball. And you get people that you know can get the job done. He worked in Boston with Dan Duquette. He worked in Montreal with Dan Duquette. And there's a certain trust factor there, and he's got his guys in place. And that's what they're doing here with Qualls. And they also decided to promote Brian Graham, which to me was a very positive sign. He's a guy who's been in the organization for a while. He's now director of player development. And it's certainly a much uh, well-deserved promotion. They're really trying to strengthen that player development system. The Orioles really, really need that to be strong because they don't have a lot of payroll flexibility. They don't have a, a whole lot of extra cash flow going around. They can't afford to be wrong with these guys that they're drafting, and they also can't afford to miss steps in their development. And, and you've seen it before, and it's happened under previous regimes, and it's something that Dan Duquette has really decided to place a ton of emphasis on. We're talking Orioles on the squeeze here on BaseballProspectus.com. You can follow Brittany on Twitter at B-R-I-T-T underscore G-H-I-R O-L-I. Brittany, Justin Upton was traded. He'll join his bro on the Braves. This affects the Orioles because it had been rumored previously that the Orioles were interested in Jason Kubel. Um, the Dimebacks no longer have a superfluous amount of outfielders. After this trade, uh, this rumor and buzz seems to be dead, correct? Yes, yep. I would say it's dead. Yeah. So do you think you could basically assume while there would be battles in camp for certain positions, the Orioles have done all they will do outside the organization in terms of trades or pickups? No, not necessarily. I think when you look at last year, uh, what the Orioles hadn't done, and they hadn't gotten Jason Hamill uh, in the Jeremy Guthrie trade, which didn't take place until February. They hadn't signed Miguel Gonzalez, which they didn't do until March. And again, is a big fan of these undervalued pickups. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they made a few more moves before spring training. It wouldn't surprise me if they made some lesser-known moves during spring training. Uh, because, again, that's his bread and butter, is finding that, that gem, looking under every single rock that they possibly can to make this team an inch or two better. Brittany, the Orioles shocked baseball in 2012. There's no doubt about that. But there still remain some doubters, and I may be one of them. I look at their Pythagorean record or their run differential, and I think they may have overperformed a bit in 2012. Does the Orioles organization acknowledge that at all? 
Uh, is it the players, the Orioles, or the front office, or both? Both. Um, I think more so the front office because they look at things a little bit more uh, objectively and in terms of stats, like you just said. Uh, when you look at the players, and, and again, I presented this argument a bunch. Um, I get the argument that maybe the Orioles were lucky, but they played the entire season without Brian Roberts. They played most of the entire season without Nolan Reimold. Uh, you know, they had their backup catcher missing until June. They had Nick Marcakis out for a good chunk of time. They never had a, a really a dependable starting rotation. They, when you look at what they were able to do with who they were able to do it with, uh, I don't think luck is as much of a factor as people realize. I mean, they, they, it's not like they had these, you know, this everything go right for this team. In fact, they won in spite of the fact that a lot of things went wrong for this team. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. One of the things that they excelled at was their bullpen and holding on to leads. Are they confident that the bullpen will be this strong? Well, you know, it's just superfluous from year to year when you look at relievers. It's really, really hard to predict. But, you know, the thing that the Orioles do well, that Andrew Buckshaw-Walter does, probably better than anyone else in the game, is he monitors their ups. And he really is strict in terms of how many more pitches they throw, how many times he gets these guys up. And when you talk to the relievers on the Orioles, they just, cannot say enough good words about Shell Walter because he counts everything. Whether they get in the game or not, if they warm up a certain day, it counts to Shell Walter. And there are other teams on other clubs where you can get, get up and warm up two or three times and not get in the game and then pick three straight days in a, in a game after that. Shell Walter, when he was out of the game, he basically took a poll and he asked pitchers what, you know, what they want to change, what they felt like you know, they needed to change at the major league level. And that was the thing that the most complaints. You know, that he got what it was about guys being overused and blowing out their arms and things like that. And, you know, he said to me, the Orioles can't afford to get these overpriced relievers. We have to protect what we have. And you saw it last year with that bullpen. There were virtually no injuries in that bullpen. It's a bullpen made up of lesser names, but they were guys who all had a lot of innings logs. But, again, they weren't warming up more than once. They weren't throwing more than a handful of warm-up pitches. And that is why I think you can kind of look at that bullpen and say maybe they can do it again because of the combination of those two things. There was a debate kind of last year whether the Orioles were going to finish the season like they had started and stay on the whole time. Now there's a debate whether the Orioles are are almost the new Rays, an organization that's going to do it right and is going to be challenging some of the top payroll teams in the AL East. Take a longer form look, longer term look for us, if you could. Do you think the Orioles are uh, in the top of the division for a, a, a long time coming? Well, that's an interesting comparison. I hadn't heard them being compared to the Rays organization, which you know, is obviously a top-notch, very well-run organization, top to bottom. I think when you're projecting the future, one, n- no one knows because a couple years ago, you know, Brian Mattis, Jake Arrieta, Zach Britton, Chris Tillman were supposed to be the quartet that was really going to carry the Orioles. And you saw this year that with the exception of Tillman, none of those guys carried the Orioles. So I think a few things have to happen, namely Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman have to turn into the pitchers that the Orioles think that they can be with the top of the rotation guys. If they can do that and the Orioles can lock up Matt Wieters, who's really the next guy behind Adam Jones, who they already locked up. If they can keep that young core together of uh, position players, I think that the Orioles can continue to contend for the foreseeable future. And if they have those young players and they are contending, is there money to spend at all? Is there any way of generating some more extra revenue where they could compete and sign a couple big-name free agents to pair with the young talent in the future? No, it's kind of a hot topic around here. How much can the Orioles spend? How much money they get from their regional network at Madison? And, you know, the answer is, I don't know. 
there's no good answer. There's not a whole lot of data available publicly, and Dandicat has stated that they're going to stay within their market constraints. Now, if there's a certain guy out there who could make a, a legitimate impact, uh, a free agent, who could make them better for years and years to come, I think it would have to be a younger player. It would have to be a player that fits into their mold, and I would have a really hard time believing that it would be a pitcher. I think the Orioles want to have Dylan Bundy and Kevin Dawson grow into that eighth role that they don't have. And then if they keep that core together, like I said, and they're performing well, and there's a bat on the free agent market that would make a substantial impact, I do think they would go to Peter Angelos and say, look, this is what we have here. This is what we really want to do. And I do think that they would probably get the okay. But are they ever going to be one of those big spenders? No. They're not going to be in the top ten in baseball spending anytime soon. They're going to be a team that remains in the bottom tier they're going to be a team, like you mentioned, like the Rays, that continually tries to find those diamonds in the raw. Brittany, I can't wait for baseball season to start and to start reading your stuff. Uh, continue reading your stuff and get into the game action in your coverage on MLB.com. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Take care.